He didn't practice, so he failed. No, it's Tractor Sunday over at Green Tree, West Green Tree. At west or east? West. West. And uh, that's where the Bumgardners are, the Longs are. I guess is Goldie, or Goldie is uh, Christine and Paul over there too? Okay. Yeah, a couple others I'm sure are over there. So, uh, and they're having a big hymn sing over there this evening at 6.30. Uh, they have a tent set up for the, uh, to take the overflow for the uh, tractor Sunday. And uh, they're leaving the tent up for a hymn sing tonight. So 6.30 over <coughs> West Green Tree. I don't have any other information to pass on uh, except uh, Mel has said that they, the people that are on buildings and grounds want to get the pavilion cleaned up, uh, get it ready to be rented. We're going to rent it this summer. So this Wednesday... This coming Wednesday, at 5, Mel? 6. At 6 o'clock, if you uh, are so inclined to give a couple minutes for helping to clean up for the uh, pavilion, please meet over there at uh, this coming Wednesday. And uh, 6 o'clock. Okay? Bring your bucket and your scrub brushes and your little gloveys, and we'll get that cleaned up. Okay. <laughs> Without music, this is this is a little bit different uh, worship service. Sharing joys and concerns. Let's see if we have anybody that needs to vocalize anything. Does anybody have anything before I put this mask on? Does anybody like to have, share anything? Well, I got I got to. I got to protect you, John. I have to protect you. <laughs> this this is this is Pentecost. This is Pentecost Sunday, and I have a little uh, something that happened to me. We get uh, Abundant Living Ministries flyers every month. They write a letter, and on one of the letters, it the the whole thing was devoted to how you survive in your Christian life when nothing's happening, when you're in the doldrums, when the heavens are as brass. I, I, you've, all, you've all experienced it. I know you have. And in this flyer, they had a whole list of things you could do. And we've probably heard most of them. They do uh, these recite some scriptures that you know, call someone who's in trouble. I mean, a whole list of things. But something that was missing was the, the scripture in Acts that says, uh, what, when one speaks in a tongue, he edifies himself. And I thought, what these people need is to be edified, right? But that wasn't mentioned in the brochure or in the newsletter, and I was talking to Claudia about that, and Claudia said, well, you ought to call John. Don't you hate when your wife does that? <laughs> and so I did. I called John, and I said, John, do you still pray in tongues? And he said, yes, I do. And I, and I told him what I told, told you about having received their newsletter, 
And I said, why wasn't that, why didn't you include that in your newsletter? Because there's a scripture in you, flat out. You edify yourself when you do that. And he said, well, people don't like to hear that. And I have experienced that if we would emphasize that, our ministry would decline because people don't just don't want to hear that kind of thing. And so in order to reach more people, we don't emphasize that at all. And Claudia and I didn't stop supporting them, but I'll tell you what, I think that's a pretty lame excuse. Well, that, that's a good excuse. It comes up on many subjects that, uh, that you, you can research and find out. Yes, uh, sorry, Harriet, I didn't mean to ignore you. I'm going to report that Rod came home Friday night after, after five weeks in the hospital, and they said he was on Facebook eating his favorite meal. Uh, cheese steak and french fries <laughs> <laughs> and also his sister Jamie's boyfriend had taken a load of cattle down to Tennessee and they were stopped for some reason a bed I mean a road construction or something and a car pulled up a side of and shot him but he's still living it went through his the bullet went through his arm and lodged in his stomach and I think maybe a rib had stopped the bullet anyhow. They operated on take the bullet out one day, and the next day he flew home. Oh, my. But during his examination or whatever, they discovered that he has a growth on his kidney. So they both still need your prayers. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Craziness. Anyone else? Good to see visitors here with us. Wow, this is great. Nancy. In the past, we prayed for Barb Adams. She had stomach issues by the last, beginning of last year, and then there was heart issues. She does need a heart valve transplant. But she's having stomach pain. They're starting a new medication, and I was asked that we share that we would pray for her. Okay, Barb Adams. Barb Adams. Okay. Who else? Yeah, I would just like to say last week I uh, asked you for prayers for my daughter and new grandson. So uh, she did have him on uh, on Monday, and both are well, and they both came home Wednesday. So praise the Lord. Yeah, how big, Craig? Um, he was seven pounds and about 20 inches. There you go. It's a keeper. So, yeah. <laughs> That's great. Fish had to grow back. <laughs> He'll grow. <laughs> That's great. Isn't it wonderful when you have newborns? You can see the grandparents' eyes just light up. It's great. Well, we're going to try something we haven't done for a long time. Sing without piano accompaniment. And it is number 588. We love to come to you in prayer. We love to talk to you. Who wouldn't want to talk to their loving father? And so we come and we worship you and we praise you for 
joys that we have received. When we think of Rod, who's left the hospital after such a long stay and various procedures, what a joy that is. Bless him, Lord. Give him strength. Keep him on the road to recovery. But on the other hand, we hear about acts of violence. We say to ourselves, what in the world is going on? Indeed, people who are not following you are doing deeds that are just unmentionable. Lord, we need to come back to you. We need to see your face. We need your mercy. And we ask that you give us grace and lead us to be people of you again. Lord, it's good to see people in our sanctuary that haven't been with us for a long time. This disease has kept them away as well as the other ailments. It's good to see their faces, their smiles. Thank you, Lord, for that. Bless them, Lord. Bless all this congregation. And bless your brothers, or our brothers and sisters throughout the world, Lord. Those that are suffering from oppression, those that are trying their best to show their allegiance to you. Lord, just stretch out your mighty arm, your mighty right arm, and protect them. Pull them against yourself. Push their oppressors away. Lift their spirits. Give them great perseverance. And let them know that we are praying for them, Lord, wherever they may be, throughout all sorts of regions in the, in the world. Thank you for that, Lord. And we do pray for our leaders, Lord, our political leaders who sometimes, many times, don't do what we, we think they should do. And we think that they don't recognize your guidance. We ask that they come back to you, Lord, that they keep your country, this country of the United States, in the best interests. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayers today. Thank you for walking with us. Thank you for giving us the guidance that we so readily need. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, today we have Craig with us again, Grandpa Craig. And uh, thank you, Craig, for being so willing to, yes, do we have to? Yeah. Linda saying. Good morning. Good morning. I don't know, this is getting to be so many weeks in a row, you're probably getting tired of me. <laughs> <laughs> I promise the next couple of weeks, uh, I'll, I'll give you a break. <laughs> so... Yes, today is Pentecost Sunday, and uh, th some things that were said, I sat in on Sunday school this morning, hoping, hoping to get to know some of you a little better. Uh, I'm still very weak on names, but uh, today is Pentecost Sunday, and it's something we forget. If I would ask you when's Christmas, you'd say it's usually, it's always December 25th. If I'd asked you what, and that's when our Savior was born, 
And if I'd asked you when Easter is, most people would say sometime in spring, late March or April. We, we recognize that. Why is it that we don't recognize the Holy Spirit in our lives? Uh, this, this Pentecost Sunday is the birth of our church. It was the birth of the church. Uh, and the Holy Spirit has always been there. We believe in the Trinity, uh, which is Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. But it seems like when it comes time, I, I believe it was either last Sunday or the Sunday before I spoke about the Bible study I lead. And in there, sometimes I'll ask people specifically if they felt they were led by the Spirit. And uh, most of them will say, well, I ain't sure it was the Spirit, you know. It was the Spirit. If you have that gut feeling that the Lord is, is talking to you and uh, coming to you with something, follow it. I guarantee you, you'll be happy you did. There, there is never uh, anything to be ashamed of. And, and I know we have, as brethren, we have very proud moments. And uh, as I was studying brethren history this year was one of my classes in school, and it was a pretty extensive study. Uh, as I went, went through that history, it seems to me early on, but I still see some of it today, where more, uh, we're more about tradition and we're more about making brethren than we are about making Christians. Uh, I think we uh, need to change some things. Uh, and I'm, I'm not saying, boy, I'm, I'll tell you what, I, before I came to the brethren faith, I, I knew nothing. I knew about the Last Supper and stuff, but there's... Uh, one thing I love and I come to love is, is the love feast and, and participating in the love feast. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with having them traditions. But at some point, we need to stop saying this denomination's wrong because they do it this way and we do it this way and this is the brethren way, so it's right. Uh, we need to come to one as unity and with the church of the world. And as long as we all believe in the gospel and, and have Jesus Christ as our savior, that, that is one of the, uh, that's, that's all we really need to agree on. And as long as we agree on that, we are all Christians. Before I go any further, let's just, let us pray. That was just sort of my introduction. Dear Heavenly Father, Please come upon us with the Holy Spirit, for we know you gave it to us when we became a believer in Jesus Christ. And it's not like in the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit would pop in and pop out. Uh, for you have gave us the helper, the comforter, the one that takes us through all knowledge and lets us know that the knowledge is right and truthful because it's your word, Lord. He's our discerner. If it wasn't for the Holy Spirit that indwells in me, I wouldn't be up here. If it wasn't for the Holy Spirit that dwells in the people 
in the pews, they would not be here today. We praise you for that, Lord. We praise you for all the believers. Help guide us when there's people that you cultivated the soil and we're supposed to sow the seed. Help guide us so we can understand that is really you talking to us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So I already did the what day is Christmas and the Holy Spirit first came to dwell with men at Pentecost. When is Pentecost? And most of the time when we ask that, the room gets silent. It is interesting how we believe in the Trinity. We celebrate Christmas, the coming of the Son of God. But we do not celebrate or even know when Pentecost is most times. It would be good if we regained balance in this area and came to appreciate both the Son and the Spirit for the huge role they both play in our Christian lives. Let's, let's take some time to become more familiar with the Spirit coming at Pentecost. In the book of Luke, we read of what Jesus did and what he taught until he returned to heaven. The book of Acts, Luke's second book, begins right Right where the book of Luke left off, Jesus had died, been raised from the dead, and as the Jewish celebration known as Pentecost approached. Pentecost, it is a Greek name of the Old Testament festival known as the Feast of Weeks. Leviticus 23.15 talks about it, and so does Deuteronomy 16.9. It was a week of weeks, We're seven weeks after Passover. Seven weeks adds up to 49 days. The day after that is the 50th or Pentecost. The celebration commemorates the giving of the law of Moses at Mount Sinai and was also a celebrating gratitude to the God for the harvest. Each year, Pentecost fell at the end of May or the beginning of June at this time of year. Traveling conditions were at their best. This meant that large crowds of Jews from many different countries would make the journey for this special religious celebration. In addition, by Jewish law, every male Jew living within 30 kilometers of Jerusalem was required to attend the Pentecost celebration. On Pentecost, it was also against the law to work. So because of all these factors, Jerusalem would have been very crowded with many people in the streets. With the Jews from many countries during the Pentecost event that we find in Acts 2, because of all these factors, Jerusalem would have been very crowded with many people in the streets during this Pentecost event that we find in Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly they, be, they came from heaven and a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled on the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak other tongues. The Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews 
devout at men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitudes came together and they were bewildered because each one of them hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? See, that's part of what the Holy Spirit does for us. And that's why they're called miracles. They're uh, above normal. They're above the norm. It's something we wouldn't expect. It's something spectacular. And every time God does something spectacular, it's so the Holy Spirit can make us realize that it is of God. It's, it's a, a heavenly act. In verse 9, it continues. You'll have to work with me on some of these names. <laughs> Parathens and Medes, Amalites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judah, and Cap- Cappadocia, Patonus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the path of Libya belonging to Serene, and the visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues in the mighty works of God, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. The disciples have been praying and waiting for 10 days, following the Lord Jesus' command. Not knowing what the future held, they just stayed faithful to the last things Christ had told them. Don't leave Jerusalem. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Be my witness, and on the 10th day, the Father's promise will be fulfilled. How often do we pray for something and we don't get what what we're praying for? How often, how many times do we pray and uh, we just give up on that prayer? Because it wasn't in our time, it's in God's time. That prayer will eventually get uh, answered. Because it does say in the scripture, if we ask, we will receive. It might not be exactly the way we wanted it, but... Uh, it just, I, I think in today's society, it, it's all, you know, all about us. So many times in the Old Testament, we read how the Holy Spirit would come upon a person for a specific reason, and the Holy Spirit would depart from him or her once the purpose had passed. The prophet Ezekiel wrote of something different that would one day occur between the Holy Spirit and God's people. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules. That's in Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27. This is what we see in a, occurring in Acts 2. 
As Christ had proclaimed in John 6, 7, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. As Christ had commanded, wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit and will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. At Pentecost in Acts 2, we see the coming of the Holy Spirit, as important as Christ's birth was at Christmas. So was the coming of the Holy Spirit to Pentecost. The Spirit came powerfully as a sound of violent wind and what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came upon each one of them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. As the Spirit enabled them, there was no mistaking that the Spirit of God had come. We don't know exactly how this took place, but it must have been unbelievable. In response, the disciples seemed to flood out into the crowds, crowded streets. They began to preach and were speaking in a language that they did not know so that the diverse crowd of Jews could understand. Something supernatural was taking place here, demands an explanation. It could be from God or it could have been from Satan. But the ones who were speaking in different languages were declaring the wonders of God, so surely it was from God, not from Satan. It must be God. They were amazed and intrigued by others close to, chose to be cynical. And there will always be some people like this. Uh, in, in Sunday school, we were talking a little bit about Ezekiel here, and, and it came up, and I already had this in my sermon. A couple things touched, and it was all I could do not to uh, just sit there and smile because uh, <laughs> it's just the way the Spirit works. So there was a, a new believer reading the Bible on the bus, and uh, every now and then he would let out a, a hallelujah and praise the Lord. And the bus driver said to him, he said, what's so amazing in there? You know, not everything in there you read is true. He said, well, I just read how, how he parted the Red Sea and, and left the Israelites uh, go, go through the water. And the bus driver said, don't believe everything you read in there. He said, uh, he said, I did some research on this, and that ocean at that point was only six inches deep. The believer's like, well, you know, I don't know. Uh, he's like, I, I believe what I read. And he went on, and he kept reading. After a while, he let someone a, a hallelujah and, and an amen. And the bus driver said, now what is it? He said, you know that six inches of water you talked about? This is a real miracle. The Lord, he drowned the Egyptian army in six inches of water, he said. <laughs> so believe what you read in the Bible and believe what you feel in your heart from the Holy Spirit. Uh, yeah, there's always going to be naysayers. There's always going to be someone trying to lead us astray. Don't be surprised. Christ has already told us that. The gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, but the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, 
and those who find it are few. Expect that the majority will harden their hearts against God, but focus even more prayers and more energy on those hearts are sensitive to and searching for the things of God. As Jesus said in John 5.19, we can't do anything on our own. We can only do what we see the Father doing. Whether in your home or in your workplace, focus your attention on those whose hearts are more receptive, trusting that God is already beginning to draw them near to himself. That's what we talked about last week with the Ethiopian eunuch and uh, God cultivating the dirt so we could plant, you know, the seeds. We can't change anybody. Uh, So many of us try to change family members and it pushes us further apart because because God hasn't worked in their hearts yet. Without God's work or or providing that fertile soil, anything we say won't be taken in. They don't hear it. They don't know it like we know it. They're not full of the Holy Spirit because they haven't received Jesus Christ as their Savior. All of this was staged by the Holy Spirit to bring about a spiritual awakening. It is not that different than how many of us came to Christ. The various events or relationships in our lives with God, we came to Christ. John 6, 44 tells us, no one can come to me, Christ, unless the Father who sent me draws him. God sets the stage so that we may come to our senses, much as the prodigal son did so, that we might repent and believe and be saved. I don't know if you're noticing a pattern here, but when I... And I didn't notice it. I, I never read my whole sermon until I have it printed out and copied. But uh, most of what we went over so far has been my preachings over the last few Sundays. So uh, there again, that's just how the Spirit works. The work of the Spirit in speaking in tongues caused curiosity, brought attention to the Spirit's coming. It gathered a crowd and stirred interest. Once the crowd had gathered, Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Now we all know Peter was pretty outspoken and pretty much through Peter's uh, apostleship or whatever we want to call it, uh, quite a few times Peter didn't always say the right things. Uh, His first discount, (coughs) discount The belief has some in the crowd that the disciples are drunk. Peter argues that drunkenness is not possible because it is only 9 a.m. Some might say, well, that is a weak argument because there are alcoholics who drink as soon as they wake up in the morning. But those in the Jewish culture did not. The time before 9 a.m. was for morning devotions. They did not eat or drink before 9 a.m., especially on the Sabbath, or on a Jewish holiday like Pentecost. This practice would have been so known as the culture norm that as soon as Peter brought attention to this, the cynics would have submitted to Peter's reasoning. Now this was a spur of the moment, spontaneous sermon to an international crowd. His hearers would wear his hearers who were in the city for Pentecost 
had a good understanding of the Old Testament. Because of this, Peter started from the Old Testament prophecies, pointing out that the day's events as fulfillment of the scriptures about the Holy Spirit. It was the fulfillment of the scriptures that they already claimed to believe. I can tell you, I don't know many people that know the scriptures better than Jewish people. Uh, I had to, to go to just recently, within the last few weeks, I, I went to a, a Jewish ceremony because it's part of my schooling. I have to go around and see different faiths and, and uh, I'm not allowed to judge them, but then I have to write a reflection paper on them uh, about some things that I've seen and, and things. And as, when it comes to their book, their Torah, or, and they only believe in uh, five books in the Old Testament. They won't believe any of the New Testament. They're still waiting for their Messiah. Uh, and, and it's the books that they believe in, it's right there. It, it's, it's all spoken out, you know, who the Messiah is. And, and uh, you just can't believe how they can't get this, you know. Uh, we see in the unprepared sermons how well Jesus must have prepared his disciples. Peter knew both the truth and the spirit of the scriptures. Yes, he has memorized the scriptures, but Peter could also clearly bring together the larger truth of scripture and the gospel and present it in a way that pointed his listeners clearly from the Old Testament of, to Christ. Peter's first point pointed them to the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. If you're anything like me, I dream dreams, but I forget them. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapors of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the days of the Lord come, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. And you, you yourself, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. These descriptions are likely a combination of the Old Testament symbolism, events surrounding Christ's death and the future events in the last days. Christ's crucifixion was planned by the Father. Some would disagree, but Jesus' death is nothing, if, if Jesus' death is nothing more than mob violence, and a combination of many individual choices and free will, 
that happen to coincide in the right way on the same day, then how could it possibly be that we are saved? With the precious blood of Jesus Christ, who was chosen before the creation, God knew this was going to happen before he even created the universe or the world. Our sovereign God set an intricate plan in place that is evidence for Genesis through Moses, through the Passover lamb, the sacrificial system, the writings of King David, the prophecies, and the many details that were set in place so that in the fullness of time God, God sent his sons to be the savior of this world. In 800 BC, Isaiah 53.3 says, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrow and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their face, he has, was despised and we esteemed him not. And then in Psalms 22.7 and 8 says, all who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusted in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. And then Psalms 22, 17 and 18 also says, I count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. Our salvation through Christ's crucifixion and resurrection was not relying on the fickleness of man or the probability of chance. It was delivered according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God. We follow a God who has intentionally set a plan in place to redeem us to himself. It is this God who holds us in the palm of his hands even down to the daily details of our lives. We are not alone. We should not worry like those who have no God. We have been drawn near by the sovereignty of God and all creation. Let's continue in Peter's sermon in Acts 2, verse 24. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also dwelled in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have been made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that, both, that he both died and was buried and his tomb is still with us today. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of the descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh see corruption this Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. Beginning, therefore, exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father's promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. 
Remember in John 16, 7, it says, I will send him to you. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. In verse 36, it continues, let all the house of Israel therefore known for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus who you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brother, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone who the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who receive his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Can you imagine what it had been like the night when, that night when all the disciples got together again? The testimonies, the tears of joy, the renewed sense of awe in the Savior. God had moved in their hearts to pray. They had obeyed. They had obeyed God. They had obeyed and God had worked in unbelievable ways in the same city that had screamed at the top of their lungs, crucify him. That's where they stood, 3,000 believers of Jesus Christ. This was in keeping with the word of 500 B.C., Zechariah 12, 10, 10. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace. And please, please for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. This was the same Peter who was often impulsive, who was bad-tempered, who talked too much, who had cut off the servants here when Jesus was arrested. The same Peter that denied Christ, and yet here he was preaching to masses, and 3,000 people believed in Jesus Christ. That is a true testimony. True testimony of grace and God's power of the Holy Spirit. The God who gives us second chances, third, fourth, fifth, tenth, a hundredth chance if we need it. He never gives up on us. He gives us the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish what we could never do on our own. I think for me, it's uh, being up here and being able to preach and being able to do the studies and bring the word to you uh, really shows me how, how much we rely on the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, I couldn't do none of that. You know, without God's grace, uh, the grace and the spirit, uh, there just wouldn't be no love. I I guess what I'm saying is when true repentance comes from us, it it will change our hearts. And uh, if you didn't see a change of heart, 
then maybe we need to look at, at uh, if there's something holding you back or uh, that we don't have true repentance. Out of all the people that God could have reached out to first with the power of the gospel and the presence of the Holy Spirit, he chose those who crucified his son. Isn't that remarkable that God gave good to those who gave him evil? That he chose to grant life to those who brought death. He chose to grant life to those who brought death. That's the kind of Lord we serve. That he decided to grant faith to those who had hardened their hearts to unbelief. May it strengthen or our confidence that we repent and believe that he will forgive and draw us into his embrace. I talked to a man this week. He said, there's no hope for me. He said, I've done things in my past, he said, that nobody could forgive. And I introduced him to the Lord because I think the Lord was starting to work on his heart and that's why he, uh, that's why he, came and was starting to ask questions. And I don't think he left me being saved, but I think the seed had been planted and I fertilized it a little bit. And that's what we talked about last week, uh, about the, the garden. So it is interesting to note that the conviction of sin and repentance did not come immediately after the violent wind, the tongues of fire, or even the speaking in tongues. It came after Peter preached of Jesus Christ. That's where it starts, preaching of Jesus Christ. I ain't saying that speaking in tongues or the violent wind, that's how the Holy Spirit showed himself. But by preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's where it begins, and that's where the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Romans 10:14 highlights the role of preaching Christ in these words. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So basically what it's saying, if, if we don't listen to the Holy Spirit and if we don't hear him, the non-believers that we're supposed to be preaching to are going to go untaught. Just like that Ethiopian eunuch we talked about last week, when he called Peter up in the, Peter asked him, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I without someone to guide me and explain it to me? The truth of God accompanied by the Spirit of God brought repentance. Peter preached the truth, and through it, the Spirit convicted the Jews of their sins. These new believers did not just claim the name of Christ. The confirmation of their salvation is seen in the fruit of their repentance and the transformation of their lives in Acts 2, 42 and 47 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and all had things in common. 
and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing them to proceed to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temples together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers day by day, week by week and month by month and he's still adding to them numbers to those who are being saved. The Holy Spirit had come to dwell in their hearts of those who believe now the gospel of Jesus Christ showed its fruits, its fruit in their love for God and their commitment to each other. The gospel who changed them, that it resulted in love, generosity, and a sense of family between the believers. Together, God used their testimony to bring even more people to himself. I'd like to close with this. May this be true in our lives, in our church. May the spirit of God move in our midst for his glory and the salvation of many in our world.